Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the CX Cast. This is Sam Stern, joined, as always, by Jenny Wise. Hi, Jenny. Hi, everyone. And Jenny and I have cleared the room today. It's just the two of us talking about her research on innovation and how do you get more employees involved in generating innovative ideas that power companies' growth is at least how I would think about it. And Jenny, I love that you're tackling this topic, selfishly focusing on employee experience in my research. This is one of the big reasons why companies tell us they want to improve the employee experience. They want to have a good employee experience be a platform for employees to innovate, to mm-hmm. generate more ideas, to feel like they can. So I'm wondering, one of the challenges that often comes up when we talk to clients about that is then they're wondering, well, what do we mean by innovation? Is it all those blockbuster new products or services? Is it the little incremental stuff that is like a change to a process that actually doesn't sound like innovation and we have to convince you it is? What are we thinking about here when we talk about innovation and creating an innovation engine for a company? So that's definitely a good place to start. What are we even talking about? (laughs) And usually when the topic of innovation comes up, we hear that people think of different things. And in the course of this research that I did, I spoke with many people on innovation teams and just across many companies. And it can mean a few things. So it can mean innovation as in this vision of the future. And you hear a lot of companies then will talk about emerging technologies and how they transform things. And Steve Jobs or Tesla and all of these brands and innovators that come to mind. It can also mean activities. So a lot of people will say, oh, well... we're starting to do user research or we are doing Shark Tank style pitches for new ideas from our employees or we're doing design thinking workshops. So they're sort of innovation activities. And so we see that it can also mean process for some people. So how do we actually go through the process of innovating? This is also where we see some people roll their eyes when we talk about innovation because it can mean all of these things. Many of them seem relatively intangible. It's hard to derive the outcomes from them. And so it gets to the question of What is it? Very, very specifically, so we can act on it. And then how do we do it? The what is it does run the gamut, as you mentioned. So there is incremental innovation, which when we think about the horizon of what are we doing this year, and that can be making changes to the website and the layout. And that's all very important. You have to make those changes. Then there's horizon two, which is happening in the next two to three years. And that can be looking at new partnerships, totally new products or services that you're launching, implementing a new technology, a new way to interact. And then there's what we call moonshots here at Forrester, which is when the world changes, how are we going? to change? What is the core value proposition that we have and how might we deliver it in a way that blows up or upends what it is that we do now? So innovation can mean all of those definitions, all of those horizons. It can also be applied when thinking about activities as well as processes. I think you said a lot of things very clearly there, and yet I still, you know, the the (laughs) definition of innovation is almost more convoluted (laughs) after the fact. So let's go at this a slightly different way. Why do employees inside of companies struggle to innovate or be innovative or follow some of these innovative practices? So I think it's because... Even when you define those different types of innovation, it's a relatively unwieldy thing to tackle. Mm. And so when we spoke with companies about how they think about innovation, how they're pursuing innovation, we really found that it boiled down to a lack of human centricity. And I'll build this out. But when we talk about a lack of human centricity, that means first the human that the innovation is created for, right? So a lot of companies aren't spending enough time actually understanding what the value is that they provide and new ways to provide that and making sure that they aren't just chasing new technologies and calling that innovation, but actually delivering net new value. And then we found that there's also this human involved that is often forgotten about, which is the human who innovates. 
who creates the innovation? Who is the employee? And so when you're not thinking about both of those types of humans, then you run into problems. And some of those problems, just really quickly I'll touch on, are you know, a lack of ideation, employees that have ideas that are snuffed out too early, employees who bring ideas through to incubation, maybe on an innovation team, but then the company just kind of rejects it and nothing comes mm. of it, or ideas that do get launched but were misguided because they didn't actually help solve any problem and so they're not adopted by the market and the consumer. That's a nice list there because I think you're getting at the issues of not being human-centric in this approach, right? You're first mm -hmm. not giving people that sense of permission to generate ideas, to act on ideas, to execute ideas, and any ideas that do somehow get through that gamut mm -hmm. of, of issues and barriers are unlikely to be connected to a real human need that they're solving that would generate lots of revenue for your company. Right. They're instead just a cool, shiny new thing that you're putting out there. Okay, that makes sense. And I will say, just to echo the point about the lack of permission, so to yeah. speak, that is when you dig into it in the employee experience side of things, employees feel like they have ideas. And I think they do. Employees believe that they are innovative or potentially could be, but they believe also that they don't have permission to be and that they're not yeah. supposed to be. So they are sitting there feeling like it's a latent ability within mm -hmm. them that is being snuffed out. And that is a bad employee experience in and of itself, besides the fact that it leads to fewer innovative ideas. Yeah, this employee angle was really interesting because initially I had set out to do this research about how do we unpack this term of innovation as an objective, and yeah. as a horizon, and then how do you apply the process effectively, coming from the experience design background here. And what I ended up hearing was a lot of employees who were just sad and disappointed in the innovation process, quite honestly, because either their company had said that they were going to be innovative, but then they realized they didn't have any resources and they couldn't actually talk to anyone and nothing happened with ideas, or they spent all this time in this innovation lab working on ideas and putting their time there. And then the company was like, oh, this doesn't really seem like relevant to what we're going to do now, or we have this incremental priority, so right. we're just going to squash it. Right. And then also to that point, too, of them having ideas, we are seeing, and I'm you know curious to hear all of your thoughts here, too, that companies do realize that ideas can come from everywhere. You need yeah. to get ideas from all of your employees. And so we're seeing innovation teams or other teams try to solicit those ideas, whether it's, you know, let's do a Shark Tank, some type of challenge like that. And then the employees have their ideas, they feel really motivated, they present their idea, and then that's it. And so then that's kind of demoralizing, and that doesn't sustain any long-term motivation. Yeah, so I think that's a really good point. And there are so many incremental steps in the process from the idea, which in a weird way probably already exist at quantity. And so it's almost like we don't necessarily need more ideas, even though that is nice to keep that pipeline open. Right. We need more of them to be moved through that process, many of which they'll exit the process because they're not viable or at least relevant now. Mm -hmm. but many more of which would make it out the other side if we could get people to move along those steps. And I completely agree with you, you know, having experienced that personally, but also having talked to many clients about this is there's just this huge gap between the idea and maybe the initial light exploration of the idea and the finished product that mm -hmm. is shipping. There's just not enough in there in most companies to help employees iterate their ideas. It reminds me of like being a parent and watching my daughters learn to do things. You realize how many more incremental steps there are for each skill they develop. Reading is like a hundred step process learning to read. It doesn't feel like that if out from the outside because you know how to read until you see someone going through it and you're like, oh my goodness, she needed support at all of these interim steps yeah. I wasn't aware of. And I think innovation is the same way. 
right? There's many more interim steps before you have a fully formed product at the end. Yeah, that's so true. And that is one of the things, because we sort of mind these best practices of how companies that have made it to the other side, right, have begun to solve some of this problem. And one of them is just to document, one, what do you mean by innovation? So like, let's just be honest about the horizons we're working on. Yeah. Because there's nothing worse than telling employees that you're going to be thinking of Horizon 3, but we're going to squash all those ideas and then you'll be doing Horizon 1, right? (laughs) That's just very disappointing. Right, right. But also document the actual process and the steps that you'll take because then people can understand that there is this process, that there are these points, that things might have to change and they might have to pivot and we might have to go back out and get more information. So that is one thing just to document the process so that other people can acknowledge it so that it doesn't seem like you're just spending a lot of time on something that people don't understand because it seems easy from the outside. And then it also helps people know when to participate and how. No, I like that. You're sort of saying, here's the scope of innovation. So you can understand if we rejected your moonshots without that clarity, that's unfair, I think. Whereas if we said, look, we need incremental innovation for now, here's where we're focused, then moonshots rejected, employees shouldn't be surprised. And if they know the steps to follow, even if, you know, to our point here, they're not maybe as detailed as what's actually happening on the ground, at least they feel that like there's some framework, at least the documentation too, is a form of permission to take part in this, which I think is really powerful signal to employees. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So can you share one or two examples that you've found in the research with us? Because I think it would be helpful to hear how do you become a company that has documented this process or clarified what your definition of innovation is? Yeah, so I can share a few examples and also quickly run through what some of the best practices are. Oh, great. So we broke out best practices into two parts. One is where does the innovation sit and how do they function Mm. so this is successful because that's really key. And then there's also what do you do with the individual contributor and employee. But I'll talk really quickly about the organization. So we found that the best practice is to have a cross-functional leader. It is to make sure that you align teams with horizons or provide a very specific breakdown. And then it is also to make sure that you have the innovation team or function that's been created positioned as a support of the rest of the organization. Not the place where the innovation happens. It's the place that makes the innovation happen for everyone. Yes. Ooh, that's a very important distinction. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's because one of the biggest problems that we found and heard was that usually the first step (laughs) what companies tell us that they do is they create an innovation team, right? Because it's hard to go through the process. And so you have to have people who can dedicate time to go through the process. And if they are unencumbered by business as usual, they can get more done. So because of that, it makes sense to say, well, we'll create an innovation silo, a team that's coming up with ideas and incubating it by themselves. Companies found that they therefore missed a ton of ideas from others in the organization because they don't know how to participate in that process. They don't know if they can participate in that process. It feels a bit like it's walled. And then also the ideas that came out of it, even if they were really good, the stakeholders wouldn't do it. They just wouldn't have the buy-in. And that's something that KPMD told us, that they had initially created an innovation team with 40 to 50 people on it, realized they did not have the buy-in when ideas came out. And so they decentralized that function. And so now they actually have an innovation network with someone who helps coordinate the network. But that means that innovation is now embedded in separate functions across the organization so they have that organization buy-in and tie-in so that the ideas that they come out with are effective while still getting the efficiencies of being in a network, right? So they know what everyone else is working on. There was one company that we spoke with that had had innovation under a digitization agenda that was led by an SVP of IT reporting into the CIO. This gave the perception to other employees that innovation really just meant technology innovation and was going to be IT projects. Mm. And so if they had some other type of idea about a product or a service or a partnership, it wasn't even going to be available. So where this person sits in the organization is critical too. It matters, yeah. Yeah. 
So then they actually hired last year a head of innovation who just reports directly into the CEO and has purview across the entire organization so that they can make sure they're applying innovation to all parts of the organization, all employees know how to participate and clarify the mandate. So those are a few that we saw on sort of how the function should be placed and operate so that it can foster innovation. Yeah. Yeah, those are good examples. Is there any examples that stand out to you of how companies determined for their situation, for their business, what was the right breakdown of those horizons, as you were calling them, like, you know, short term, medium term, long term innovation? So it really varies depending on the company. Right, right. I can imagine. Yeah. And I mean, the biggest reason why you have to define them and the difficulty is that it is too easy to allocate resources and time and budget to near-term innovations, right? <laughs> like we can, we can have you focus here and get this ROI this year, or we can guess that something might happen in five years, but we also know we're testing and maybe it won't right? So it's just too easy. And so we find that most do have a focus on horizon one, on this incremental innovation. And that either means that they're spending about 70% of their innovation time there, or that they even have just a continuous improvement team. One company said, yeah, we spend a lot of time there. And that's who our user research CX team is, right? So you can even think of it that way, right? (laughs) It's just improving on what they're doing. And then it's usually about sort of 20% on horizon two and 10% on horizon three, right? What are we doing way off in the future? Yeah. But that varies in model. So there can be one team who's told to spend their time based on that sort of allocation, or it can be separate teams. Right. um, In which case you get a different allocation. Yeah. And I can imagine, I mean, to that half joke, half serious answer about a CX team, it would be different skills or at least different mindsets, certainly, but different orientations to innovation. Yes. You know, what is something that we can get out there quickly that will make an incremental improvement versus more iterations, more refinement over a longer time horizon? Yeah, which is why some companies did tell us that it was easier when they actually have separate functions because they're like, it's our mandate to focus on Horizon 2. What could we be doing? We have you know partners that we can test with to see if it's kind of feasible. We'll have some type of data in the next year to sort of prove the case versus the innovation function who's looking more at trends and what's coming and understanding technology for the future. And so that makes it much easier to approach the process in the way that will help facilitate the right level of innovation. So here's another question I get from clients a lot, which is, what should we be tracking? What matters here? And I'm asking this in terms of probably a measure, but the idea is we want more revenue, I would say, from new products is a good measure of innovation. But that is such a downstream metric because that's after you launch it. And it would maybe bias you towards all these short-term new things, you know, that what you measure can lead you in all sorts of unintended directions. There's another version of this, which is, we'll measure the number of ideas. But then again, you might get tons of terrible ideas or, you know, sort of repetitive ideas. How do you think about that? Like, did you see anything that companies were doing well to cut through that? Yeah, so that's the most important thing. Because then when we think about the individual contributor, right, you have to make sure you're following up on their ideas if you're going to ask for them. That was sort of our one best practice. The next was make sure that you equip and shield them so that they have the space and time to work on these ideas. But then there was, of course, have the right measurements. Yes. And to your point, too, where so many companies say that they want their employees to be more innovative, and that's great. But then when you say, okay, so what are their metrics, they often don't align to the metrics or activities of innovation, which comes to this larger picture, which is that innovation is inherently risky. And so often we talk about how the companies take on risk to be innovative, but that employee is also taking on risk to be innovative. And some of that risk is their reputation, their pay, their job. 
in what happens with these ideas and how the company is supportive or not of what happens with these ideas. Because some of innovation is testing a concept and then deciding it's bad or saying in five years, this will matter and I'm going to spend all my time and you're going to pay me now, right, <laughs> to be able to tell you this matters in five years. So that's where we saw some companies say that they had removed quantitative metrics from the role. So in some cases, there was some ROI that that team was still responsible for, depending on the breakdown. And so they had to make sure they delivered a certain degree of short-term ROI for incremental improvements that were being driven by the team. But then they would also project out what they think the ROI could be of their Horizon 2 and Horizon 3 ideas. So essentially creating a, a model that's an estimate, right? But if this works, it could result in this type of revenue. And that's a justification for spending more time there, obviously, right? that's a justification. So it is still tying it to ROI, but it's a projection of. And then they would also create incremental steps to see, are we able to modify or test components of that model, you know, this year to see if we do think that this is accurate. Yeah. And so that's creating some type of a predictive model. There was another company who has a innovation team who it's initially just their job to vet the idea to see should we put time and energy behind this. And they weren't held to a metric because it's viewed as their job is to assess, to avoid bad spend, <laughs> and to help vandalize this thinking in the organization. And so that is not tied to any type of quantitative or ROI metric. Mm, yeah, I like that. Thank you, Jenny, for walking us through a different way to innovate for companies. I think there's a lot of good advice in this research, thinking explicitly about the different horizons. What does your company mean by innovation? And how can you give permission and empowerment to employees across the organization? So it's not just a general platitude of we're innovative and you can go out and innovate, but an actual enablement with processes, with that team that is not the place where innovation happens, but the place that makes innovation happen. I think it's a really important distinction. So listeners, we posted a link to Jenny's report in the show notes, and we'll talk to you all on next week's episode of the CX cast. Goodbye for now. Thanks to our colleagues, Amanda Chen for recording and mixing the episode and Will Wilsey for editing and publishing and listeners. If you have questions, feedback, comments, or suggestions for new episodes, please email us at cxcast at forrester.com. And remember your customers' perceptions are your customer experience reality.